Welcome to the Creation Innovation Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth King. Together, we'll have conversations with incredible human beings who have taken their creative outlet and turned it into something innovative. From people leaving the corporate world to be eight-figure entrepreneurs, to people who have created books, created a family, or just creating to have fun in the world. We are all in a journey to create something amazing in our lives, and I hope that you find some inspiration of your own here. This is the Creation Innovation Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the Creation Innovation Podcast. I am really honored and excited today to talk to Dr. Nathan Riley, and I'm going to let him introduce himself. Thank you for being here, Nathan. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So this is an interesting conversation from my perspective because there's so much that I want to know on so many levels. So we're going to try yeah. to get through it all. But it, he's such a unique person and has a unique situation that I, that's why I want you to introduce yourself, please. Yeah, well, I mean, I took the typical path to becoming a doctor. I was lucky enough to be out in California for most of that training and uh, found myself pretty unhappy, I guess, with, with my lot in life. You know, I certainly am a, a person who has every privilege in the world, and I took advantage of those privileges. And then I found myself pretty disillusioned with the lack of critical thinking that was incentivized in medicine and the lack of creativity, really. You know, there's a protocolized way to do everything. And if you don't do it that way, you're not going to stick around for very long. And I chose to take myself out from the OBGYN side of things and to try to figure out how I could honor birth in a different way. Of course, my wife and I were pregnant when I, we were about to have a baby. It was like two weeks before we had our first, which was in the hospital that I was working at when I told them I can't do this anymore. And it was wow. the, the classic example, you know, like you're called in to help with a C-section. And while this person's going through this tremendously hard experience, like every other time I've done a C-section, the other doctor wants to talk to me about my kids and about wiffle, you know, T-ball or whatever their kids are doing. And it's like, this is a fucking surgery. Like we are doing, we are removing a baby from the womb, the center of a woman's like life force energy. I'm a very spiritual mm -hmm. person and I've even become mm -hmm. more spiritual, but it was like, I can't do this anymore. Like this is yeah. just dystopian to say the least. And so yeah. beyond that, it was also the lack of creativity and whatnot. So I found myself actually as a hospice um, doctor as well. That's mm -hmm. why I did my fellowship down here in, in San Diego, US, uh, UCSD, which is like one of the top programs in the yeah. country for palliative care and hospice care. And it was very healing for me. And there was a lot more creativity because there's no right way to die it's really a matter of like, wow, what is important to you, Elizabeth? And let me help reframe the resources around that. And I've brought that into my birth work since, but there's so much more creativity and, and like human centeredness in that work. Um, there's a lot of art therapy at end of life. Like how do you uncrack an egg that hasn't, hasn't spoken about the existential threat that, that mortality faces that, that, that it poses without like getting outside of the bounds of pharmaceuticals and surgery. You can't do it without like, helping them visualize things and helping them meditate on certain things and really getting to, them to unlock um, some of those secrets, you know, around what their biggest fears are. So you work with chaplains, you work with social workers. It's, it's much more collaborative. And I was very happy in that. But then COVID happened. I got fired for taking my mask off. And it was like, good riddance. That's fine. I don't actually need to be a part of this system anymore. Yeah. And I went off on my own. And so now I'm a dad of two. Our second was born at home. It was the most beautiful birth ever. The first was also beautiful. But the second, that home birth was just like, wow, how recharging and rejuvenating. And um, now I support midwives as a collaborative physician across the country in the state of California, Texas, Florida, 
you name it. I've probably got a collaborative midwife um, in Hawaii. I mean, Alaska is the only one that I haven't heard from yet, but I think Alaska is kind of gangster in their own way up there with how they do things. So yeah, so now I have more time to just be me and and to uh, I can get neck tattoos and stuff. I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> right. And yeah, so that's who I am, I guess, in a nutshell. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. And again, that just... I want to unpack so much of this. First of all, the question that I ask myself for many years, and it's come up recently with one of my clients, how does a man decide they want to go into OBGYN? Like, do you, what's your story yeah. there? You know, it's a, it's a really dumb answer to a really good question. Uh, I don't think I really liked anything else. I, I was okay. like, the surgeons weren't really nice to each other. I saw OBGYNs as being birth attendants, and I loved that part of it. The magic of that really was sort of like, man, after having so many tests in my life, there's not really a test here. In fact, there's not even a really good outcome. Like, it's not my job to guarantee a good outcome. It's my job to sit with people during this tremendously hard thing. I love people. I love being connected with people. None of the other fields really allowed me to do that. And I'm really invested in lifestyle medicine. So in internal medicine and family medicine and pediatrics, which are the classic primary care fields, OBGYN being the fourth, you, you weren't given the time or anything to really talk about diet and lifestyle and all these things. So I figured, okay, I can get into the household through a woman who wants to honor this pregnancy in her body by, by nourishing the temple. Um, but then even then I didn't have that in OB, as, as an OBGYN, but I didn't find that out until later. So I guess the, the simplest answer I can give is that nothing else appealed to me as being interesting enough. And birth was something I would never go through myself. I knew that my wife would probably go through it, and we did go through it twice. And every single time you do it, it's like a completely different possibility. And that to me is just such a, like, it just keeps you on your toes and it keeps you inspired and it keeps you thinking about like the tremendous challenges that people go through as new family members, especially dads who reach out to me and are like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. And I'm like, dude, neither do I. Let's figure it out together. Like, that's right. really cool. And I really like the idea that like, sometimes babies die. Like, it sounds like a weird thing to like, but it's like, I feel like I have a special gift in being able to sit with people during really hard things, just to be in the, in the oven with them. And no other doctors mm -hmm. are willing to do that. So it was an mm -hmm. opportunity for me to also get into this space of pregnancy loss and miscarriage and the tremendous fertility challenges. Like there's just so much agony in obstetrics yeah. and gynecology. And I was like, God, that would be, that's a really hard place to be. Like, that sounds like the ultimate challenge. Anybody can do an appendectomy or a gallbladder removal. Like I'm not, I'm not diminishing what general surgeons do, but anybody can treat diabetes. Anybody can treat hypertension. I want something that's like a real challenge. And because I'm not a woman, there's something special there where I have to be extra sensitive to almost everything that I do in order to really kind of honor the privilege of being with women in that very vulnerable space. So that's, I guess, why I did it. I don't know. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that aspect of it because I feel that there's so many so many of us do take birthing and all of that for granted. And when you're in that industry, you do know kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly, and that it really yeah. is such a sacred, delicate thing. And there's a reason that there's less, I mean, unfortunately, we're going to a mortality rate that we haven't seen before, but right. in years past, you know, things had changed from a hundred years ago and there wasn't as many people dying during childbirth, babies and mothers, et cetera. And from your formal education as an MD and now being what you're doing and going into home births and whatnot and being there from a more of a spiritual perspective and seeing that in a different way, 
how do you, are most of the people that you're working with aware of this other side of the danger of birthing or are they still very much of like, no, it's all good and I've had a healthy pregnancy and so it's going to be a healthy birth type of thing. I, I think because I'm, I'm, I don't want to say jaded, but because I come from the fertility side of things, yeah. I see miscarriages all the time. Yesterday was a 19 week old loss and, mm. you know, going into pregnancy is very traumatic. And then, then comes the birth, which is another trauma that you're getting ready for that you don't know what to expect. But then there's this other side of the world that pregnancy is all bliss and you get pregnant very easily and you're having home births and everything's kumbaya yeah. and lovely. Yeah. And so is, do you find that because that's the world that you live in mostly now, that that's the, the people that you attract or are they more open to understanding that there's both sides of the coin essentially? Yeah. I mean, it's a complex question. Um, but what I will say is that I am as much as I speak maybe negatively about the medical system and how we've hijacked the hormonal system. Let's say like birth control is a great example. Yes. We are not doing a great job of emphasizing the downsides of being on birth control for five to 10 years. And yet right. we're popping these pills into 15 year old girls left and right. I was trained to yeah. do that. I know. I'm right. not like, this isn't conjecture. This is what we do. And you have acne, let me give you the pill. <laughs> exactly. Abnormal periods, right. painful periods, acne, uh, you know, whatever, like PMS, PMDD, like everything, just take this combined, you know, this combination of two synthetic hormones and everything will get better. Well, that's not a solution. Right. Don't get me started, Nathan. Oh, I, I, I've, I've listened to, <laughs> I, I know your content. Time. I know your content well, but I want people to appreciate that like as an OBGYN, seeing that happen and then knowing I've got two little girls I'll never and I've, I've joined the Clippers so we're not going any anymore I won't have any little boys and now I've got two little girls who have to be uh, they're going to be counseled around the Gardasil 9 vaccine they're going to be counseled around birth control from a very early age what are we going to do about that well the solution is not for somebody to come on podcasts like me and say do this and don't do this the solution actually is for us to remember that we've been deconditioned to give away all of our power for our entire life and we give our power away to the different cults of our society. You know, at one point it was the religious um, factions of the world, and it still is to some degree. And then there's the politicians in these three and four letter organizations. And most importantly, the cult of medicine is now put on a pedestal where we can do no wrong. Right. But the reality around birth is that you are not entitled to get pregnant and you're not entitled to have your dream birth. I would love that for everybody. And most people who come into my practice can get pregnant naturally and they do have dream births. But we did have, you know, we have this program, the Born Free Method, who it was co-created with my friend Sarah Rosser, who's one of the farm midwives. She and I are pretty much like trying, our advocacy piece is not do it like this. Our advocacy piece is, can you own every decision you make through the lens of radical responsibility, it could be a vaccine, it could be birth control, it could be whatever. It could also be how you have your baby and own the outcome of that decision, which is a very confronting um, notion in our current sort of societal, I guess, um, the societal nuances of, of the environment in which we're conditioned to grow up as adults. Not many of us are willing to say, I made my decision and now I have to actually cope in some way with the realities. Fortunately, not a lot of women or babies die in, the, in our country from childbirth. Even if it's the worst of all developed nations, it's still less likely than you having a totally healthy baby afterwards. But when that thing happens, 
we can blame and shame and do all this stuff. We can whip ourselves. We can do all that. But sometimes that is just what happens. Right. Sometimes a 19-week miscarriage is just what happens, and there's nothing that could be done. And if we can dial in the lifestyle inputs to the best uh, of your ability right now, given the amount of money you have to invest, energy, time, willingness, whatever, you can probably decrease the risk of that happening demonstrably, not to zero. It'll never go to zero, but it can decrease. So where does that put us? It puts me in a place where I'm saying, listen, whatever the outcome, I'm going to try to guide you as well as I can, and the, but the outcome is ultimately yours to own. And that is very, very confronting and simultaneously very empowering now that you're making the decisions. So if, right. one last thing, I know I've been kind of going on a diatribe, but if these, some of these bad outcomes are completely um, um, unpredictable and un, unavoidable, there's a very, very vast difference between that bad outcome happening to you when you did something that didn't feel like a hell yes on the inside, somebody coercing you to do something that didn't feel right, right. versus you saying, I understand there's that risk and I'm still making this decision and that inevitable, that inevitable thing still happens. Very, very different experience for the person who has to carry the burden for the rest of their life. Right. And I think we are getting, as a collective, women and men, more educated in general, you know, partially because of the internet and all these things that we're coming into our doctor's office with a lot more questions and a lot more education yeah. based instead of just walking in to say, they are the all-knowing, you know, being, and I'm going to do what I am told with no questions asked. I think yeah. our what we need to overcome at this point is finding those MDs, if that's the route you're going with, that align with you, that give you the time yeah. in the day to sit with you and answer your questions and things like that. Again, especially on the side that I am where, you know, they are higher risk. And, you know, whether you want to go a holistic route or not, there are some things I think that it just is what it is. Like you said, I mean, there's, there's no way around it. Maybe you have something genetic or et cetera, but you still want to have somebody that is in alignment with what you want to do and honors your thought process yeah. and doesn't dismiss, you know, what you really want to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I have people sign a very, very uh, carefully worded consent and contract whenever they work with me for a home birth, because most of the people that come to me, I persuade them to go work with midwives. Midwives do natural, uh, low risk. We can get into risk stratification, which is a problem in and of itself, but the low risk people, which are probably 85% of births happening on a daily basis, you're probably going to be better off with a midwife. Don't hire me. Go and hire a midwife. I, I'm a wannabe junior midwife at very, very best. <laughs> and I have a similar approach because I've worked with so many midwives, but I'm not a midwife. Find a midwife. And so for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what a midwife is, can you define sure. that? And a doula, because I think that there's yeah, some a different... There. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So a midwife is... Well, there are two different paths, just like with anything in our modern world. It used to be that to become a midwife, you would have learned through an apprenticeship model from your mother who learned from their mother who learned from their mother. Um, traditional midwifery has various terms, but in essence, midwifery was brought here through the African diaspora, through the slave trade, as well as midwives coming from Eastern Europe um, when they were migrating during roughly the, you know, the turn of the 20th century. Um, in the United States. So if we're just looking at the United States, there's also a lot of indigenous parteras, like the Mexican parteras that are carrying this lineage forward as well. So let's look at that as one sort of model. 
which you could say that's what barbers used to do. They used to just learn from some guy who learned from some guy, and then you eventually get good at cutting hair. Some of these midwives are the best of the best. The best opportunity for you to have a the vaginal birth of your dreams. Then the other path is you go through a schooling process, an educational process, and then eventually many of them get licensed. And the 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 broad, uh, probably the most common uh, credential there is a certified professional midwife. And then of course there are RNs who go for additional program, you know, schooling in the system, and they become certified nurse midwives who are far more akin to an OBGYN in their practice. Don't tell that's bad but far more like that than they are the traditional midwives. So we have the spectrum of what midwives are. And then, of course, the obstetricians are the ones who came from a lineage of German-style medical education, which almost completely monopolized childbirth in the early 20th century, thanks to large investments from Carnegie and Rockefeller and all those people, um, in order to convince the population that no matter who is attending births, if they're not in a white coat, uh, they didn't go to medical school, then they're not fit for birth. So there's this whole rich history there to unpack. A doula is somebody who really helps helps you, maybe even from preconception all the way through well into the postpartum period, as your advocate, as your sort of no-skin-in-the-game um, support person. And that can include a variety of things, from cooking for you to cleaning for you to holding your hips in labor to helping you get comfortable with contractions, like all of that stuff. Doulas are... Are, have a, again this wide spectrum of what they're comfortable doing, but they're also probably the most necessary part of any first-time birth, in my experience. I think it's great to have a good doula, um, and of course, there's bad doulas and bad midwives and bad doctors as well. So you have to find, like you said, somebody that really has great chemistry with you. Right. Well, thanks for breaking that down. I think that the the option of the doula for the first time, as you said, is. One of those things that if you talk to your friends who have gone down that road to say this is what it is, because you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And when you get into that first that first baby, it's it's very eye-opening to say the least say in the all least. sorts of ways, from a physical perspective, mental, emotional, spiritual, no sleep, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So how did you come from I know you said during your first birth with your your own child to recognizing I'm not doing this anymore to go down this holistic route. That's a very left turn yeah. um, to go off the path. And do you regret going down that path of becoming an MD? Well, I'll start by saying that probably my first, the first appeal to me doing something a little bit differently was in my intern year. That's the first year of residency. I was working mostly with midwives in the hospital at Kaiser where I uh, was doing my training. And they were very hands-off, and their births were going remarkably well most of the time. And uh, I found that really you know, compelling versus the protocols for how to intervene in this and that, which was largely the OBGYNs. But really, even the OBGYNs, they were pretty good, I have to say. Um, but it was this little like glimmer of like, wow, there's a different way to do this. And then I started doing home births with another home birth doctor and his colleagues that, who were midwives. And that's, that was really like, now that I've seen what I've seen, now I can't go back to doing this. But I stayed with it for several years. <laughs> And, and frankly, you know, when did I make that left turn? Well, if anybody out there is, is still so invested in the medical system, good on you. Like, thank goodness. The, 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 uh, the unknowns, when you open yourself up to the unknowns and the possible solutions, it's a very daunting task to be facing this Leviathan, you know, multi-trillion dollar medical system. But if you're being honest with yourself 
and you're like, yeah, but doctors do a lot of good and this and hospitals are great. Yeah, okay. But when you, re when you think back to your last OBGYN appointment, maybe it was during a miscarriage or whatever, your a routine pap smear, how were you counseled around cervical cancer screening, that type of thing, were you 100% satisfied? Or when your family member was in the hospital and they had that complication during surgery and the surgeons didn't handle it all that well with their communication, were you satisfied with that? Because what we have right now is a medical system that is leaving a lot of people broken down on the mental, emotional, and spiritual levels, even if they walk out of the hospital alive. So if you had a baby in the hospital, yes, healthy mom, healthy baby. But were you completely satisfied or did something feel a little off? And when you start asking what is off, it's that we've become completely devoid of the mental, emotional, and spiritual, which really is the definition of holism. And we've only looked at the measurable facets of childbirth, infection rates, NICU admission, APGAR scores, vital signs, that type of thing. But birth is far more important than that. Every woman who's gone through birth knows that there's far more to this than a medical procedure. So for me, I, I like to, to think that I live a life of integrity. For me, it was like, I see how this system is breaking people and families. And if I am going to stand in what I know, it's I never have been a person who can do something that doesn't feel right on the inside. So, so through the lens of integrity, I determine I don't have the tools to actually care for people the way that I thought I would. So, great, I've got 14 years of school and all of that stuff, but what else is there? What other tools do I have available? And that's when you start getting into the functional medicine space and midwifery in general. Um, I've done all this other certifications and whatnot, but all of the stuff I learned after medical school and residency training was stuff I had to pursue on my own in, in an effort to find tools that actually helped people who were coming to me. And I can't just throw pharmaceuticals and surgery at them because that's creating other problems. So right. I was just being honest with myself. And I guess I don't, I don't regret going into medical school, but I, I probably would have been better off as like a forester or something, like walking around in the woods all day and just observing nature. That's probably where I, I would have found myself. And that sounds lovely, but um, now I can use these credentials and whatnot in order to... <laughs> There's not too many people that can say you're not a, you know, you're, but you're not a doctor. What do you know? It's like, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm dual board certified, you know, bozo. Like I've done more school than most and I'm pretty darn educated. I'm pretty darn intelligent. How am I going to put that, those attributes to work? It's to get the hell out of the way and support traditional midwifery and women in the way that they want to be cared for. And that is not lucrative, but I'm pretty satisfied with that, with that change. Good for you. And I think and that takes such courage to step into that, especially yeah. going down a different path that is in that regard. And I, I agree. I think more power to you and more credibility, et cetera, that comes along with that. Where are the rest of your people, though, is what I want to know, right? There has to be more medical doctors out there that have that same mentality. And are they just afraid of speaking up about these things? Or what do you think it is that they're just kind of going along in the system because yeah. don't you think that there, I, I just keep thinking like there has to be more consciousness there than what they're showing. Right. As far as I could, again, I'm going to go back to miscarriages as an example, right? It's not just another day in the office for you. It's yeah. life changing for these yeah. patients that are yeah. there. Right. You can't just say it's not your fault and escort you out the back door. Like that's not enough. You know, that is yeah. just not yeah. enough. And I feel like there has to be more 
MDs that are under rocks somewhere that can come out to play to say, yes, I, I agree with speaking out on all of these things and we should be educated in a more holistic way to better these patients and or partner with midwives, coaches, et cetera, to do the other side of the job where, yeah. you know, you, but traditionally the doctors that I meet are very, you know, blinders on, this is what I do. And I'm not really too concerned with yeah. the mental, yeah. spiritual well-being with, of my patient. And unfortunately that goes along with the health, mm. right? The healthier we are emotionally and spiritually, the better we are to heal, Absolutely. the better we are we to have Absolutely. healthy children, et cetera. Absolutely. Yeah. So to me, it seems so contradictory not to be thinking that way. So do you feel like there's a community of MDs out there somewhere that are that way that just aren't stepping forward? Or what do you think? What's your take? Yeah, you know, I read this uh, BBC News article recently um, about a white supremacist here in the United States. I promise there's a point here. <laughs> who took... Um, he he did he took some MDMA like ecstasy, and he had this extraordinary heart opening experience, and he could no longer be a white supremacist. And so you would think like, why aren't more white supremacists able to see it that way, hmm. right? Like I don't think anybody's out there. Like I, I, I'm I'm hoping that that anybody out there is not criticizing that guy for changing his ways because that's a pretty like pretty like I think most people will agree that like going and, uh, and and looking to cleanse our population of anybody who isn't white is probably not the best approach, right, to whatever it is that you want to see in the world. I mean, it's kind of, I think it's an embellished um, allegory, though, for what we're in medicine facing. We have an entire community of people who, who have been sort of nourished to think the same way that we do. And a lot of people tout MDs. Like you have an MD after your name, you're going to get on podcasts. You're going to get the, the publications. Like they want right. you to be at their conferences and whatnot. The right. issue is that MDs are not necessarily smart people. They used to be smart people. But our educational program beats out the critical thinking so that you become the horse in the Kentucky Derby who wins because they're not looking in their peripherals. They've got the right. blinders on and they're just going forward. Who cares about the grandstands? Who cares about any of it? Go forward and keep running until you win. That's really what has happened in medicine. Um, we have taken critical thinking out of it, and we've replaced it with protocols and everything else. And golden handcuffs, which really reflects the large salaries, which are not like Jeff Bezos' salaries. People think doctors are rich. I have a, about $500,000 in medical school debt. Right. And so most of my money is going towards paying debt. And yeah, I am able to get by, and we have a great life. But I am not making six hundred k a year. I am not even making three hundred k a year. I am occasionally making more money each year since I've been out and that's good. And I pay $2,500 a month towards my student loans. So like, it's not, it's not as, as cushy as people think, but right. doctors I think are afraid to step out of the hospital system where they have all of this administrative stuff, keeping their practice afloat and they can be guaranteed a paycheck, even if it's maybe not the pay that they're, that they're, you know, um, deserving of. So just like the white supremacist, I think many of the doctors who do manage to get out of this is that they have some really, really heart-opening experience, um, at least in the, you know, the people I've met. They've maybe done a meditation retreat, or they've done some psychedelics, or they've done something that snaps their brain out of this spell 
that the only thing that matters is the physical. It reminds you that there's actually something more to this. You might have a sobbing fit after an effigy breathwork session or something where you're all like cramped up in this somatic breathwork and you just start pouring out tears and you don't know why these tears are coming. But it's because you've been told to not feel anything. Just do the job. Right. It's very dehumanizing in the medical education process. So while I have compassion for a lot of my colleagues, I also am the primary target of most of these OBGYNs on social media who think that my counseling around the downsides of birth control or the fact that I attend home births or the fact that I think gestational diabetes is preventable, especially if you have money, they don't just don't jive with that. Like they don't have the apparatus to think of this differently. And no, there's nobody incentivizing them to do so. So um, it's not a surprise to me, I guess, that a lot of docs don't do this. There's quite a bit of risk there. To I think what does surprise me is how can somebody be so intelligent yet fall in line so easily Yeah. and not speak up about what their opinion might be or challenge something in the media to say, hmm. Maybe we should think twice about how this vaccine is affecting our fertility and whatever, you know. I think that's where I struggle is that yeah. I, you do statistically, you factually, actually, you need to be more intelligent than the next person to get into medical school, period, end of story. So how right. can these people be so intelligent and still just be so complacent to the, the paycheck or whatever it is? And I understand that. I, I do think that doctors are underpaid and the medical school bills is just it's ridiculous insane. in our country. Yeah. And well, I think that's me... why so many people have gone away from it too, partially because of that, right? They under, if they really know what goes into it, they're like, mm, that doesn't sound like a good deal unless I'm going into a practice that yeah. doesn't deal with, you know, insurance at all and it's cash only, but that's another very different side of things. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll add something to that. I know we're probably getting to the end of, of the time sure. here, but smart people, yes, have to outsmart other people to get into medical school. There's no doubt. You have to answer more you know, answers correctly on the test than your colleagues, and you're rewarded with more education. The issue with that, this notion of standardized testing, which is how we select for these individuals, especially right. when you get into med school, is that there is no critical thinking in a multiple choice test. Like the critical thinking you require that required was required in organic chemistry, or even when I was in like the gifted program or whatever that was called, I wasn't in reading class because I was already reading well advanced, like three or four grade levels ahead of where I where I should have been. Instead, I was in there playing with marbles. They gave me this giant box of of like track, and they said, "Have fun." And I just got to sit in there and figure out how could I get the marble to do this cool shit. That's critical thinking. So we have to not delude ourselves. To re, you know, um, to utilizing these standardized tests and these credentials as a surrogate for intelligence. Doctors are not intelligent. They are smart, but they are not intelligent. They can right. answer the questions on the test. And if you went to Harvard, you've answered even more multiple choice, you know, questions, um, you know, than most of your other colleagues. So the Harvard docs are the ones that everybody hails. Hopkins, these types of programs, Stanford. All that that tells me is you are the best one at staying in the lines. Right. And I hated staying in the lines. I would cover everything but the picture at hand. And that's not that's not me tooting my own horn. It was that that creativity. I never let that get squelched when I was in residency, much to the chagrin of everybody who was trying to get me to do the thing I was supposed to do. Not everybody did that. Everybody else wanted to just get through and be seen as 
the golden child. And I was happy being like pissing around and, and reading about midwifery and trying different things in childbirth. And my C-section rate went through the bottom of the floor. I just wasn't doing them anymore after residency because I was open-minded about like, how can we solve this problem differently? Because I don't want to do a C-section. How can I put my skills to use differently through vaginal breech birth training, through um, different C-section techniques? That's another one. I'm like, you don't need opioids after a C-section if you change your technique. I have done it dozens of times. No I mean, opioids. And you're I don't, you're I insane. Mean, three C-sections later for me, I would say opioids don't work for, for yeah. me. You yeah. know, So you're left thinking, what do I do with this now? I remember after my first one, I was begging the doctor, please help me. I'm in so much pain. What can I do? You know, and yeah. we tried every single combination of everything that there yeah. was only to just say, forget it. I'm not going to put these in my body if they're not working anyway. And I'm just going to deal. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I think smart. there's so much amazing content and information that you can share. And I'm so happy to, that our paths have crossed to be able to continue to spread more of this information to people that are either trying to start down the path of having a baby and or midway in so that they can get some further information to empower themselves on their journey to know that there's many different options, many different roads, and you don't have to just say yes to the white coat that's um, in front of you at the moment. So what's the last advice that you would have for somebody who may be trying to conceive? And then the, the other side to that of in pregnancy and heading quickly towards their 40 weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and thanks again for having me. This has been a lot of fun. I um, have the same really repertoire for almost everybody in every circumstance and with, with some fine tuning. So it's gonna come down to, are you doing something that makes you happy? Are you treating your body like a temple? Are you spending enough time in solitude and sleeping? And then a last one might be, um, are you moving regularly? And so if we were to break those things down, we would get to look at the gut through, through this movement practice. We look at lymph, lymphatic and, and blood flow um, and all the other bodily fluids, uh, seminal fluid flow. We get into the quiet, we talk about sleep, we talk about slowing down, we talk about balancing the nervous system. The dietary stuff, everybody's probably pretty aware of that, but my fav five multivitamins from nature are smoked oysters or fresh oysters, probably not in pregnancy, but oysters, bone broth, fermented cod liver oil or other fatty fish, um, organ meats and eggs. If you're eating enough of those in any combination, you're going to have plenty of the micro and macronutrients, and that doesn't require breaking the bank. The organ meats are the cheapest part of the cow. Um, and then the last one is the happiness place, you know, or peace. Are you are you doing something that actually is in alignment with your values? And this actually gets into my own work. It was hurting my health to not be doing something that I really believed in. So we start there, and I apply those same principles to pregnancy, to preconception, fertility, first and foremost. Um, that's where the oysters, by the way, the gentlemen out there, start eating oysters. You're going to have a boost in your sperm count, your motility, less DNA fragmentation. If you did like a, a uh, give legacy, you know, one of their special semen analyses. Um, and then it, al it also applies to a variety of other concerns, persistent HPV, eventually leading to cervical dysplasia. Your doctor's not giving you any tools to work on this. They're just saying, come back in six months. Right. Hopefully it's better. If it's not, we're going to take a big old chunk of cervix out uh, without anesthesia. And you're going to be like left to wait for those results. And then that might, you know, require an excision of part of your cervix. Like we're not giving people any uh, tools. So this, right. all of these principles apply from the moment you have a glimmer of children in your eye 
all the way up to menopause, really. And then, of course, we have to do some fine tuning along the way. But that's basically my practice uh, without getting too far in the weeds. And I want to point out to that that you're you're talking to both men and women here. Yeah. And, and that is especially so from fertility. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because I think traditionally we've always thought it's on the woman, right? It's yeah. the eggs that we're trying to preserve and and make sure that everything is okay. But equally as important is the sperm. Yeah. Exactly. So before we go, I also want to touch on all the functional tests. I know you're big into that as well. And for people who don't know about those. Can you talk a little bit about that if they go to maybe an MD who does them or a functional nutritionist or a naturopath maybe that's recommending Dutch testing or any sort of other functional test? Can you just touch on that a little bit as to educate people as to what that may be? Yeah, I just had a friend reach out to me earlier today and he said, hey, my mom's just not feeling her best. Can you order her some labs? Like, what labs? Like, what are we talking about here? What is the actual clinical question? So the variety of even functional practitioners out there that are doing labs and whatnot goes to, like, these big companies. Sorry, Waste Well, but you're messing a lot of people up. You go and see a clinician for 15 minutes on Zoom, and they order $700 worth of labs, and then they supplement based on the deficiencies without ever asking why on earth there's another $900 a month. Yeah, right, exactly, right? So these, these companies are getting to, into the billionaire sort of range because they're doing bad medicine. It's, it's, it's lazy, it's, it's completely inadequate, and it's leaving a lot of people you know, taking testosterone as a woman because you have low libido, and now you've got bad acne. Like, what are we doing, guys? Like, this doesn't, this is like a bunch of monkeys fucking a football in, in, in the middle of a, a, a football stadium, you know? So instead, if we peel back and we think, what does a lab value tell us? What does spatial imaging tell us? X-rays, ultrasounds, whatnot. It tells you what's happening in a moment of time, a frozen picture of time versus the story of what's happening in this beautiful biodynamic rhythm that is your endocrine system, your nervous system, your detox pathways. And we're not talking about breathing out toxins. I'm talking about your liver is processing stuff on a moment-to-moment basis to make sure that all of the stuff that's circulating in there is balanced out in the right proportions, and it can be excreted either through the urine or the stool uh, via bile or otherwise. So the Dutch test is beautiful because it, it you, you're collecting data over a period of time. Like if you do their cycle mapping, you're getting a full cycle's worth of data. If you do their Dutch complete, you're getting a couple days worth of data. And you get to see how their adrenals, their gonads, and their liver are doing this whole orchestra. And it is a beautiful picture that you get that is not perfect because it's still looking at urine metabolites. But it tells you quite a bit that will then direct me to order labs like waking fasted labs. And by the way, if you're listening out there, if you ever have a question as to whether or not to do a lab fasted in the morning, just do it in the, in the morning. Just do it fasted, go to your lab first thing in the morning, get your whole panel done, and then we start dialing that in based on what we're seeing in the Dutch. The other um, really important functional test that I'm utilizing a lot, I've probably done 100 of these now, is, the, is a, a really comprehensive stool analysis. The one that's my favorite is the GIFX. It's a three-day comprehensive stool from... Genova. There's others that I've done, and I did all three of them in one week. And two of the three, I won't mention them because I don't want to throw shade anywhere, but two of the three said I was perfectly healthy. And then GIFX was like, uh, not so fast. So I figured maybe it's a little bit more sensitive. And since then, I have had great results in looking at what is the microbiome abundance, um, the balance. Is there any sort of inflammation in the gut? Is there, possibility, is there a possibility of leaky gut here? 
How are you digesting fats and proteins? There is so much that can be taken from the stool analysis and the Dutch, and usually from those two alone, and maybe some follow-up AM labs. I can get a person working on all cylinders in a matter of probably three to four months. There's no silver bullet here, but that's where I start. That's awesome, because I think when you, especially dealing with gut situations, you kind of feel like you're opening Pandora's box, right? Oh, yeah. What, yeah. what is it going to be? How is it going to look? How long is it going to be until I start to feel better? And I think, and how much is it going to cost me every month with digestive enzymes? And I don't even know. I can go on and on about gut health and all that stuff too. But I think just hearing that gives people hope to know that it actually doesn't have to be as hard as you may think. And you can feel better. And once you do feel better and all those systems are in place, again, circling back to fertility, your fertility will also fall in line. Absolutely. And your Absolutely. cycle will start to be one of those functions that, that is working better as well. Yeah. I see fertility and persistent HPV, which is another big issue in my practice. I see those as signals. I don't see this as a, as a like fatalistic, you're doomed to get cervical cancer, or you're doomed to never get pregnant. I see it as a signal that there's something upstream that needs to be, you know, maybe even just fine tuned, or maybe it's in the sperm. I think it's upwards of 60 to 70% of the time it's in the sperm, by the way. I don't think it's 40 to 50 I as agree. everybody advertises. So women, get your man here and get them listening to this because um, without considering what the upstream signal is or the upstream cause of this signal, whether it's the persistent HPV or the fertility issues or abnormal periods, great vital sign there. If you're not having regular, right. regular predictable bleeds 13 times per year, maybe there's a problem. Let's uncover the stones. And we know that if we don't uncover those stones and we don't go upstream to look at these things, then if you do go the IVF route, you are, have an independent risk factor now for a variety of pregnancy complications. Probably not from the IVF, although maybe a lot of synthetic hormones. More likely, it's because somebody didn't fully understand or appreciate that your gut is, is, is out of whack and you're not absorbing a variety of nutrients from your, from your food. And now you're kind of suboptimal in the adrenal and the thyroid and the gonadal range. We can fix well, that, but we only if we go look for it. I can assure you that probably nine out of 10 REs are not asking you what your gut health is when you're at an appointment with them, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I did just interview one and she said she asked. I was almost fell out of my chair. So that's I good. know. I know. I mean, it's it's not really our domain. People think that like stay in your lane. And I'm like, well, if you guys aren't going to stay in the lane, I've got to be here by myself helping people get pregnant and helping them have you know regulated periods, helping them get off of birth control and get their, their health back. Um, and helping them like get their immune system back. Like in the gut, we've got 95% of our serotonin is being produced. 95% of the receptors are there. So your nervous system isn't connected to this. About 80% of your, 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 um, your immune cells are living in gut-associated lymphoid tissue. Um, and then not to mention, everything passes through the liver. The liver is working extra hard in order to try to keep you healthy. But all of these things are connected to your endocrine system as well. So all of this stuff that everybody talks about in the Instagrams and podcasts and all of that, it's oftentimes starting not where you're looking. It's oftentimes starting somewhere else. So just supplementing because you have that deficiency is not enough. You're, you're just putting a Band-Aid or like a piece of bubble gum in the side of the dam as the dam's leaking. Right. And meanwhile, there's holes popping up elsewhere because we haven't fixed the upstream cause. So I'm glad you mentioned that. I think that's really important. And then before we go, tell us about the Born Free Method and how people can take part in that. Yeah, so that is a 12-month 
uh, program where you, you sit with me and Sarah for, for weekly calls um, in a group setting. And then there's also 100 uh, lessons with every bit of content you could possibly want to know um, derived really from our practice. Sarah and I got very busy over COVID as more people were having home births and wanting more of a sovereign birth experience. We put together 100 lessons on everything from vaccines to Rogam to vitamin K to the sacred you know, nature of childbirth and birth planning. I mean, there's a whole unit for dads, psychedelics, cannabis. Um, we get into all the controversial topics like ultrasound. Is that safe in pregnancy? Turns out it might not be in the way that we've been doing it in the first trimester. All of that is included with guided meditations and whatnot. People can enroll. The next enrollment will be in January. But if you really are compelled and you're listening to the show, reach out to me through, um, through the website. Uh, my email is Nathan at bornfreemethod.com. Happy to get you in. Um, and then we have another program coming out, Clear and Free, your, your um, holistic solution to persistent HPV, where we get deeper into the vaccines, into Gardasil, into HPV and cervical cancer screening, and what you can do from a lifestyle standpoint to optimize your immune health and your overall well-being so that this does not have to be something that inevitably leads to the, the big C word. Okay. And so is the born free method for people that are looking to have their babies, birth their babies soon? Is it for coaches, doulas, anybody who wants to be educated? Yeah. All of the above. All of the above. Of the above. Okay. Yeah. And you get lifetime access to the online self-guided uh, learning modules. So you can join anytime. You could have three babies 10 years apart and you're still going to be able to access this information as you fine tune the experience, you know, the subsequent experiences. So I encourage everybody to come and join us. We've got a, a tremendous community, a very open-minded, open-hearted people. It's a private community. There's so much great conversation going around there. So I feel like this is my magnum opus to the birth community. This has been really fun. And we're updating it in January when we relaunch with a bunch of other content. So you can join now before the end of the year at the lower rate. The, the price will be going up. and um, But you get lifetime access, so you might as well join while you can. Amazing. So I think anybody who's into women's wellness and has an interest in that, it sounds like it's all very, very great content to know and have under your belt and learn from these two that are doing magnificent things in this, this sector. So thank you again for this conversation today, Nathan. It's been so fun. Lots and of fun. can't wait for our paths to cross again. Elizabeth, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Creation Innovation Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify for free episodes and subscribe to the Creation Innovation Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you choose to get your podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening for a chance to receive a special gift. Yes, we actually do send out gifts. It's my favorite thing to do. So visit us at elizabethking.com backslash creation innovation for more information on how to enter. Every review counts and we are so grateful. You can follow me at the official Elizabeth King on Instagram or TikTok. Until next time.